Good morning, church. That's really good for, for me to be here and to worship with you guys. My name is uh, James Yandel, and uh, I've been... Oh, uh, kids, can be dismissed uh, wherever you guys go to these days. You're good. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm James Yandel. I've been connected with this church for a long time, literally since the day that I was born. I was connected with White Oak, and I've been connected with you guys ever since, and so it's just uh, it's really exciting for me to be here. As John said, we're going to have like kind of two parts to the, the message part today. So the first part is we're going to talk about uh, why Jesus came and kind of talk about that thing, and then we're going to move in. I'm going to share a little bit about a trip that I recently went on um, with the team back to the same place that Matt and I went uh, on a mission trip the first time in East Asia, and I'm going to share a little bit about that trip that I just got back on, because many of you prayed for me and also supported me, uh, and so I just want to share some of the things that God did through that trip uh, because of you guys. Uh, so, um, share a little bit about myself. I grew up in Houston, in what used to be the suburbs of Houston, down uh, 290. I don't know if you really call that the suburbs anymore. The city's expanding really quickly. Um, I had a pretty normal childhood, grew up, uh, went to graduate from University of Houston with a political science degree, go Cougs. The one in the room uh, with the political science degree. I haven't used that since, but it looks really great on the wall, and I'm sure the frame's really expensive, so I'm sure I could sell that one day and get something for it. So uh, that's kind of my history. Um, I want to share a little bit. When I was younger, my family and I uh, have an older brother, a younger sister, mom and dad. Uh, We went on all these vacations, right? We went on vacations a lot, but we didn't go to like the normal vacation spots like Yosemite or like Grand Canyon or like Disney World and stuff like that. And actually, my sister is always kind of bitter about the fact that we never went to Disney World. And uh, so one time when I was in my early 20s, I was on this road trip and I went to Florida and we actually visited, which everyone is over there, I think it's Disney World. And, you know, we went to like the shopping area and it has like Legoland and all the different places. And I found this postcard, right? And in the postcard on one side, it had like Minnie Mouse, I think, and like a picture of the the Disney castle, and and I wrote on there um, a note to Emily, and I was like, uh, Disney World, a place where dreams come true, just not yours. And so I feel feel bad about that now, but it's it's funny thinking about it in retrospect. But we did go on a lot of cool vacations. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm actually, I'm very grateful to my parents for my childhood. It was very stable, very easy. Um, you know, they, they helped us out with school, they read stories to us, they, they never fought in front of us, they, they took us to church. It was a very uh, good, like, normal childhood. And as I was thinking about that, like, these days, that's not really the, the my story isn't really the normal story, right? It was kind of, you know, having the both parents in the home, brother, sister, I mean, that was kind of the story of the 80s and the 90s, like, when I was growing up, but these days... Um, it's not quite the story. I, I read a statistic that uh, one, in every, one out of every three children in the U.S. is growing up in a single-parent home. Um, it's about 20 million kids, which is about five times the population of Houston. Seems like money's hard to come by these days, right? It's kind of, you know, I would substitute for HISD in those schools, which is a whole another story, but uh, in, the, in those schools, most of the kids that I come across are on some sort of like school-sponsored meal program or something like that, right? So they're growing up it, with a different set of circumstances. And so I, I'm noticing that it's very difficult for kids these days to understand um, my story and be able to relate to it. Um, you know, they're just growing up in a different kind of world. 
And it seems that way. It seems like the same thing's happening when it comes to the gospel, right? It seems like in the past, or John's asked me to talk about why Jesus came, right? And so in the past, it seems like this was an easier question to answer. But these days, it's kind of tricky. Uh, you know, we live in a, a post-Christian era. It's a, it's a new age. This is the era of the skeptic, um, you know. These days, people are asking questions like, or saying things like, oh, Christianity, that's the religion of my grandparents. Or Christianity, oh yeah, th- those are the people that hate homosexuals and, and tell them they're going to go to hell. Um, there, there's no framework for who Jesus is or why he came or, or what that means for people these days. They, they think they've heard it all before. They have this idea of Jesus. They've already come to their conclusion. Um, actually, was sharing uh, the gospel a little bit with a lady the other day at Starbucks, and this is basically what she said to me. How does a story in a book help me pay my bills? That's the reality of what people think about Jesus in Christianity. You can't assume that they have this basis for who Jesus is. You could in the past, back in the 50s and 60s, you know, people, a lot more people went to church and people talked about church and lived on the radio and in schools. But these days, there's not that foundation um, of the Bible and of Scripture and stuff like that anymore. Uh, case in point, I was talking, I actually got to share uh, the gospel with this, uh, or help share with a 13-year-old, um, share the gospel, and she had never heard of Jesus before. And this wasn't over in China. This was here. Uh, 13 years old, never heard what Jesus had done for her. This is a new age. It's a different age. So why did Jesus come? We're going to try to answer two questions related to that. The first is, why did Jesus come? And why is that still relevant? I think those two questions combined can really make us effective communicators of God's story in the world. And so I will encourage you for some of the people who are connected to social media. I'll look over here at the younger people. Uh, if you are connected to social media, I encourage you if, you, if you hear something that is meaningful to you or uh, some sort of truth, I just encourage you, just share it right during the sermon. Like share it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or Foursquare or Vimeo or Angry Birds or text or whatever you guys are doing these days. Just, uh, just share that truth. And the reason I say that for people who aren't as connected, like for people in my generation, people who are younger, that's how we... we we, we learn and process information by sharing it with other people. And that's kind of where, like, Facebook has come. We like to share things that we learn. It's, it, it's almost it, like the act of sharing helps reinforce it in our own minds. And we don't even know that we're doing that, but that's kind of what it's, it's doing. So that's why I encourage you guys to, to do that. Feel free to do that. I encourage you to do that. I give you permission to do that. So uh, before we pray, let's, uh, or before we uh, get on with the sermon, let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good, and you are awesome, and we do want you to build your kingdom here. Um, you know, we want you to, to break into people's lives. We want people to, to understand why the gospel is still important, and why it still is meaningful for, the life, and for their life, and why it can um, help save them from um, their own, the problems of their own creation. And so I pray for today, Father, that you would um, be with me as I speak and that you'd help me um, not to get in the way of what you want to say. And I pray for those who are here that they would receive your word gladly and with joy um, and that we would leave here as people who are excited about why Jesus came and want to share that awesome news with other people. So we love you, Father. Be with us. Um, It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
So why did Jesus come? So when I first wrote the sermon, I started out with my thesis, right? I said something like, Jesus was sent to save sinners. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, man, you can't really start there anymore. It's kind of like I was talking about before. We live in an age where people have no foundation for that. So if I go up to someone and I try to share like, you know, hey, man, Jesus, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins and he was sent, he was sent for you. People these days are like, Jesus who? He was sent for what? What sins? Like, what, what does that mean? It's like there's no framework for, for understanding that. And so what I want to do is try to put it into context. I'm trying to answer those two questions, why Jesus came and why that's still relevant within the framework of the gospel story, the story arc of the Bible, because that's how God does it. I'm really, I've gotten really interested in like storytelling recently, and you see all throughout the Bible how God tells stories to communicate truth. Like it's not just a set of uh, like presuppositions or arguments. It's like it's, it's, it's within the context of a story. And that's where the parables come from. It's like short little stories that communicate truth. And so that's what um, the Bible also is. It's a story, a true story that communicates truth. So let's start at the beginning. I'm not talking about Genesis 1. I'm talking about John chapter 17. So feel free to log into your Bible app, scroll to John chapter 17. Or for those of you who still have uh, one of these guys, feel free to open that up too. That's how I read my Bible, so that's okay. Uh, John chapter 17 uh, verse 5. And so just to put this into context, this is Jesus praying uh, to God the Father while he was on earth, and it's very close to the time that he's about to be crucified. He knows, he feels that urgency of what's about to happen to him and all the reasons that he came to earth is about to take place now. And so in the context of that, Um, He says this in verse 5. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. That is the beginning of the gospel right there. Um, The gospel doesn't start with the creation of the world, the gospel starts with God himself. For the world created, God existed in glory within the context of a community called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? This is a misconception in Christianity, especially by Jews and Muslims and skeptics. They look at us and who we worship, and they say, oh, Christians, they worship three gods, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, but that's not what the Bible communicates to us. The Bible communicates that we worship One God who exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you can explain what that is to me and help me understand it, please do it afterwards because I have no idea. It hurts my brain to to think about that, but this is the way I kind of cope with it. To worship a God who I completely understand doesn't seem like a God worth worshiping. And so that's how I understand the context of the Trinity is God is way higher than I am and he exists on a plane that's far above my own. And so if he exists as one, per- or one God and three persons, that's fine with me. You know? So let's move on back to the story. So God is existing forever, right? And he's in, the, in John chapter 17, verse 5, it says that he existed in glory. And so this community of Father and Son and Holy Spirit was completely self-sufficient. God did not need us at all, 
right? And so in other religions, when there's, especially monotheistic religions with one God, like in Islam, you have um, Allah, who does not exist as a trinity. And so in some ways, uh, Allah cannot be love because he doesn't, before he created people, he had no one to project his love onto. And so there's, there's no concept of love before creation in uh, Islam. And so that's why that particular God is not self-sufficient. But in Christianity, the Trinity exists, and there's this mutual love between each person of the Trinity for the other two. And so there's this ebb and flow of love and, and righteousness and joy and, and, and peace and just goodness. And it's this love that within the community of the Trinity that flows out and leads God to create a world, our world, right? That's what motivated God to create our world. And he created heavens and the earth and stars and animals and human beings, and he put them in a utopia called Eden. There's this guy named Trevin Wax, and he puts it like this. He says, one Hebrew word sums up the picture of Genesis 1 and 2. Shalom, peace. Earth was full of God's shalom, the kind of peace in which everything works according to God's intention. The world was made for human flourishing. There we could live in joy in the presence of our maker, worshiping God by loving him and one another forever. We call this part of the story creation. We made it two chapters before we screwed it up. Two chapters in the Bible, and then we screwed up everything, right? The first man and the first woman uh, rejected God's rule over them and rebelled against God. And ever since then, every human being, everyone in this room, myself included, has followed our um, forefathers, Adam and Eve, into that rebellion. And because of that, this thing called sin entered the world, right? And I try to think, I think in visual terms a lot. So I, I think of sin as a sickness that has spread like a disease throughout the world. And a lot of ramifications have happened because of that. Um, let me pause the story real quick. I want to tell another story. When I was younger, we had a forest behind our house. And we used to, you know, ride four-wheelers and paintball and all that kind of stuff. And one day, in our vast 16-year-old teenage boy wisdom, we decided to go out there with the artillery shell firework. I don't know if y'all seen those, the one that's like go up in the air, like blow up or whatever. So we thought, man, what if we took one of those, just lit it up, and just like threw it on the ground and kind of like see, see what happens, you know. It sounded cool at the time. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt understands that. But uh, so anyway, we, we light that thing up, toss it, and it just like explodes into a hundred little fires. I mean, it's like an open field. You think like we would be, this is y'all, this is the future of America, guys. So anyway, so we're out there and there's like a million fires, right? And you would think that we would call for help, that that would be our first instinct. It's like, we gotta call for help. But no, what we do is we like take our shirts and we start like beating the fire down with our shirts. And so all these guys got our shirts off. We're like banging the fire. And like, it seems like every time that we put one of the fires out, like one of the other sides would start like growing. So we'd have to run over that and try to put that one out. And by the end of it, thankfully, we, uh, we did uh, get the fire out. But we lost all our shirts. But anyway, um, can we put, not put that particular story in the podcast? I don't, I don't know what the statute of limitations is. But anyway, that, that's kind of how to think about sin and what happened with sin, right? It's like we unleashed this thing that we thought that we'd be able to control, um, but it ended up controlling us. That's kind of what happened with sin. 
it started to cause this static between us and God. A lot of people complain that they can't, it's like, man, I don't really see God or, you know, why doesn't God show himself more clearly and stuff like that? And I think the reason is God, God is showing himself very clearly. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The problem is there's this, this static between us and the reality of God, and it's because of sin. And because of sin, there's this hatred that started welling up in our hearts that wasn't there before, right? In the Garden of Eden, there was none of that. But now there's hatred in our hearts for other people. And that's what causes things like Holocaust and genocide and even day-to-day things where I'm getting mad at the guy at the road because he's cutting me off and stuff like that. That's, that's a product of sin. Hard to put it this way. We had the world that we wanted. We no longer have it. And we want again, and we want it again. Everyone, all humans, want that shalom back. We want that peace back. And that's where all the religions of the world come from. That's where political parties are all about. And that's what social justice organizations are all about. It's trying to to get us all back to that place called Eden. That place of shalom. That place of peace. But none of it worked, right? None of it has worked. We've tried to get back to God, but it hasn't worked. And our world is continuing to get darker and darker as we drift further and further and further away from the glory of God. And that's what's happening. We call this part of the story the fall. Enter Jesus. Galatians 4 uh, Chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this static, God sent forth his Son. You know, whenever uh, Matt and I went overseas the first time for this uh, mission trip that we went on, it was like a six-month trip with the IMB. I remember whenever we landed in the country that we were in, it was like really, it was like rainy and like stormy and like turbulent and all this kind of stuff. It's actually kind of scary, but I just remember like landing in the darkness amidst the storm. And I just remember thinking about how that, that must have been how Jesus felt maybe whenever he was coming to earth he had always existed in this place of light and peace and joy and he comes down and is born as a human in earth and it's like he's he's born into this chaos and this darkness like stepping into a city after a nuclear holocaust so why did jesus come the answer is gloriously simple jesus was sent to earth to save sinners and to restore the world that we lost. That's the gospel. I'll say it again. Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners and to restore the world that we lost. John 6:38 says, and this is Jesus speaking, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 3:17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus was sent to the earth to save sinners and to restore the world back to the way that God had created it originally. And I say it's glorious because the most glorious part of that verse to me is that God sent his son. God sent Jesus. It shows that God is the one initiating 
the act. He's the initiator. We didn't come to God in our sin. God came to us in our sin. And that is glorious to me because that means that God wants a relationship with us. He, he wants to bring us back to him. It's not us trying to beg God. It's, it's, it's God coming to us. And that's the awesome part of the gospel. Whenever we get to Christmas time, it's my favorite time of year because, you know, we start calling, we start calling Jesus Emmanuel. And that's what the Bible calls him, like God with us. And that just it rings in my heart. It's like God is with us forever through Jesus Christ. And so, what was Jesus doing on the earth? He was in the process of restoring the earth back to the way it was before. He came to show us what life would be like whenever God reestablished his complete rule. And that's kind of what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. If you go to Matthew uh, 5, I think, uh, Matthew chapter 5, you get the Sermon on the Mount. It's like Jesus preaching on this mountain and all these people, thousands of people are coming to listen. And what he's really talking about is what, the, what, what life is like under the kingdom of God. He's trying to contrast it between what life is like now, harsh and rough and mean-spirited. He's contrasting that with what life is like when God rules. And so he's saying things like, in the kingdom, people don't take advantage of each other. He's like, in the kingdom, um, no one wants for any food because everyone has everything in common and God is providing for them. He's saying, in the kingdom, you don't have to be anxious about anything. That's what life's like in the kingdom. You guys gave that up, and now, we're that, now God is inviting us back into that. But Jesus didn't just talk about, that, or talk about the fact that he was restoring the world. Um, he, rest, he was restoring the world. He started restoring the world every time he healed someone who was sick or blind or deaf or lame. It's like he's saying things like, there's no sickness in God's kingdom. Sickness and pain and death, they belong to the fallen world. They are products of the fallen world. It makes sense that they're there. It doesn't make sense that they're in God's kingdom. And so every time Jesus healed, he was showing us what life was going to be like in the future, a place of no pain, a place of no sickness. He's inviting us into that. It's like I, I, I think visually, right? And so I picture a world that's black and white. And everywhere that Jesus went, burst forth color. And just gives me chills to know that God is doing that through Jesus, through his perfect life and through his righteousness. And he's showing us the way and what life should be like. And that he's continuing to do that through us now, through his Holy Spirit. One last quote. Timothy Keller puts it like this. I encourage y'all, if y'all have never heard of Timothy Keller, he's really, he's like an intellectual guy, and he wrote a book called uh, The Reason for God. I think it was what it was called. And it's a really good book. And he says, uh, I believe it's in that book, he puts it like this. In the Christian view, the ultimate evidence of God is Jesus Christ. If there is a God, we are characters in his, we characters in his play have to hope that he puts some information about himself in the play. But Christians believe he did more than give us information. He wrote himself into the play as the main character in history when Jesus was born in a manger and rose from the dead. The birth of Jesus is God writing himself into the play. No one comes close to the depth of who Jesus is. There's no one like Jesus in history. The depth of his wisdom his humility, his patience, his exaltation, his greatness, no one even comes close. 
In fact, he's so great, I wrote some things down, people, he's so great that people still talk about him. Skeptics still respect him. Religions can't ignore him. They have to make him a prophet. That's how great he is. People die for him. We meet every Sunday to talk about him. It's because of what he did for us. Because he didn't invite us up to heaven. He knew we could never do that. And so he came down to earth to live among us. To give us an example of what the righteous life looks like. And ultimately, he came to die for our sins. Um, But I'm going to leave off on the story there because that's going to be next week why Jesus came to die. So I'm going to stop right there and I'm just going to answer really quickly. um, Our second question is, why does Jesus' coming still matter today? So I answered why Jesus came by saying Jesus was sent to earth to save sinners and restore the world that we lost. And now why does that matter today? Um, I started this morning by sharing my story and how I grew up and stuff like that. And I talked about how people uh, don't really relate to my story anymore. It's kind of outdated. But the truth is the gospel is not outdated. It's like there may be more skeptics today and more people who don't believe, but Jesus has been changing lives all along. We just have to be better at sharing our stories of grace with other people. We just have to be better at doing that, right? Um, How does God's story have meaning for a kid in a single-parent home? How about how God the Father is a father who's never going to leave them, who's never going to forsake them, that he's always going to be with them, and he promises that. How does... How does God's story, his grand story, fit into or have meaning for a college grad like me who's struggling to find meaningful work or something that I enjoy or something that I feel like makes an impact? How about the fact that God's mission that he gives us gives us purpose for our lives regardless of where we're at and where we work? How does the gospel, how does God's story engage the age of science when it seems like science is able to answer all the how questions but is unable to answer the question, why? The Bible, the gospel has the answer to that. People have doubts about Jesus and why he came, and that's okay. We should engage those doubts. We shouldn't be afraid of those doubts. We shouldn't just dismiss people because they struggle with the concept of hell. I struggle with the concept of hell. But by God's grace, little by little, over time, he's showing me and helping me to trust him and that everything he does is good, right? But it's a process. And so we should be patient with people when they don't immediately accept all the the very hard truths of the gospel. Jesus' story in closing is still relevant. Um, He broke into my world and turned my gray life into color. And I know he broke into many of your worlds and made your gray life into color. And I just want us and I encourage us to be people who want to spread that color to other people's lives. Um, So I do want to invite Matt to come up now. We're going to transition a little bit. Um, Speaking of sharing color and different things like that, uh, Matt, if you come up, I'm going to share a little bit about um, the trip that I went on a couple of weeks ago. Matt's going to interview me as the, what's your title here, Matt? We got that mic. I'll help you out. Missions associate or something like that. Missions. <laughs> okay. So I think my 
mobilize us, help to mobilize us as a congregation uh, towards God's vision for um, his name proclaimed among the Greeks here in Judea, the Samaria, and the very ends of the earth, um, but also helping to support others who are also seeking God's will in us here. Uh, I think uh, James's Who am I? <laughs> so like I said, my name is James. I've been connected here for a long time. You don't see me on Sunday mornings because I'm currently involved with a home group that meets on Sundays, but I'm still intricate, intricately connected to the life of White Oak. And um, White Oak has really been a big part of my life. It's the church that I grew up in. It's the church that I was uh, that led me to believe in the gospel, a church I was baptized in. Um, when Matt and I went overseas the first time, this was 2011, we went with six months. Uh, you guys were the ones who supported us and prayed for us, and a lot of really awesome things happened out of that trip, and, and that's what's led into this trip that I just went on. Okay, so this this trip was actually, a lot of you know Jeff George, um, Jeff and Amy George uh, attended this church for a long time, and they went overseas as missionaries, and that's where Matt and I went and visited them for a while in, in East Asia, and so um, right now Jeff is working at uh, Garden Oaks Baptist Church, and he's the min, um, missions associate there or something like that, and so we, we planned to have like a vision trip where we'd go to the same uh, place in East Asia. Uh, and minister to a people group who had very little exposure to the gospel. About 75% of the people have never heard the name of Jesus, is my understanding. And it's like 0.02% of them believe in the gospel. And so we wanted to take a team of six people over there to kind of see how uh, urgent and how lost these people are. And so um, we were able to do that and also to encourage the church. So we had two purposes, to share the gospel, make it known where it had never been known, and then two, to encourage the church that's in East Asia. Do you have any stories of the trip? I do. I, I mean, there's so many stories, but of course, I, you know, I don't want to take up everybody's time, but I, I want to share one quick story. Um, so we definitely shared the gospel of people who had never heard before, but also the other thing, like I said, was to encourage the church. And that's something I'm really into. It's like encouraging churches that are around Houston and also around the world. Like we're all one body, right? We're all going to be in heaven together forever. Jesus built his church, not church is, right? And so one of the things we did while we were over there, we visited a house church. So in this particular country, it's, it's illegal to have an unregistered church. And so um, there's only a few churches that are actually registered and all the other ones have to meet in homes and kind of under threat of being persecuted by the government. And so we visited a house church and they had food for us and we got to be a part of it. But that day they were actually baptizing six people and they didn't have like a uh, baptism or whatever, they had a bathtub in the middle of the kitchen that they had filled up, and they baptized these six people. And one of the people that they baptized was a 79-year-old woman who in the past six months had had open heart surgery and who had just recently believed. And I'm telling you, watching this lady, like, get on a little ladder and, like, get into a bathtub and just, like, so... 
uh, like kind of feeble and frail and like, just seeing her dunk. And like as she comes up, she's got this biggest smile on her face. And it just made me really encouraged to see this church just like um, just growing and baptizing. And so um, that's just one story that I have that's really awesome, I think. So uh, how does how does Trip Humphreys Dead Theory affect us? What, what does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean uh, for the church in America? Right, right. So basically, um, you know, we... White Oak has always been a church that has supported missions. I mean, you could just go down the line of the people that they've that you guys have supported, and we just want to encourage. And I just want to encourage you guys to to grow in that engagement. Um, and so, one thing that we're trying to do, and I'm trying to partner with White Oak to do, is to um, help lead a trip back to this people group, uh, taking people from White Oak, uh, especially the the leadership, the first time around, to see if these people are people that that White Oak wants to engage and wants to help share the gospel with and ultimately help fulfill Matthew. Um, it's in chapter 24, I believe 24, 18 maybe, or 15, 24, 14, which is this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world and then the end will come. And so I want White Oak to, to partner in that awesome task of reaching the entire world. And so um, kind of bridge in that. Um, those of you who got bulletins, um, we worked on um, uh, about a Somebody asked me, uh, I heard you say that, but what does that mean? What does that tangibly look like for us as, as White Oak? What, what can I do? And so if you look in the bulletin, tab one, or if you want a copy of it, I can make you a copy. I've given you three different levels of commitment to pray and to give and to go to the unreached peoples of the world. And um, so um, down at the bottom, it has Philippians. 9 through 11, it's talking about the elevation of, of Jesus above all names. And Jesus is the name by which we are saved. And if Jesus is the name by which we are saved, and there is a people in, in Asia who, out of 2 million of them, only 75% of them have even heard the name of Jesus, then how can, how can they be saved? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious, and I'm so thankful that you are a missional God and how you broke into our world and you came to us. You didn't wait for us to come to you. And so I pray, I thank you for White Oak and for everything that they've done to make your name great among peoples, and I pray that we would continue to not um, wait for people to come to us, but that we would go and that we would engage and partner with you with what you're doing 
in the world. And so I pray for these people here. I pray that you would put on their hearts whatever level of commitment you want them to have, Father. If they're a prayer warrior and they want to pray for long-term missionaries over there, or they want to pray for the short-term trip that White Oak is going to sponsor, um, then please, Father, help them and encourage them to do that. If they want to um, help support a trip, financially or, or through other means, Father, I pray that you would also put that on their heart. They'd want to partner with what you're doing. And then lastly, Father, if there's anyone who would want to go on future trips, Father, I pray that you would already begin to sow that seed um, so that your name could be made great here in Houston and to the other most parts of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.